Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. And today we're going to end with a little bit of encouragement, but maybe a little bit of a, a, a kind of pointed encouragement, if I can put it that way. And, and really today, it, I'm hoping you will understand and start to see that Today is about surrender. Today is about what you do with the Christmas message, what you do to let this Christmas message begin its work on us. And uh, jumping straight into this lesson, I think that we'd all probably agree that, that Christmas and light are kind of two complementary ideas, right? I think Christmas, maybe more than any other holiday, is, is kind of characterized by the lights that we see. Anybody ever been to, to Candy Cane Lane over in Vacaville and Lollipop Lane and all that? So it's really fun to send my kids over there and let them walk around and freeze um, and look at everything. But uh, it's, Christmas is characterized by lights. And, and even going back in the Christmas story to the first star, that appeared to the wise men. It was a light that showed up in the sky to guide them to the true light that had come into the world. And so we know a little bit about light, but seems like we know a lot more about darkness, don't we? And I think you know what I mean when I'm talking about that. The darkness in the Bible story, it's, it's always represented things and ideas and conditions and, and life, you know, when life and conditions and things are in a state that God never intended them to be in. When they're in a condition that God did not create them to be in. In fact, I was struck by the statement in 1 John, and John was one of Jesus' closest disciples and friends, and, and he kind of he wrote this letter, one of the letters later on in his life, and he was telling the people that he was writing to, hey, we were with him. We got to see the light of the world. We touched him. We heard him. And this is the message that we heard from him. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him. And we declare to you that God is light. Wow. It's a powerful statement. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, this is a big, this is a big statement from John, isn't it? This is the message we've heard. Well, John, I, I'm sure you heard lots of messages from Jesus. And as John is kind of looking back over his life and over the life of Jesus and everything that John had to say or that Jesus had to say and everything that Jesus left people with and, and wanted people to do with what he had said, he came to this one summary that God is light and everything not in God, everything that doesn't come from God, everything that is not, you know, that kind of contradicts God's essence or God's character, it's darkness and there is no darkness in God. And so in the Bible, darkness is always portrayed as kind of being anti-God and kind of synonymous with pain, and it suggests confusion. And God, of course, is said to not be the author of confusion. And just by definition, I mean, I think we all get this. This isn't profound or deep, but just by definition, when someone's in the dark, when we are in the dark, we can't see things as they really are, right? When you're in the dark, you might see the outline of something, you might see the shape of something, but you can't clearly see what something is when you're in the dark. And now, beyond just kind of standing and staring at things, when we try and move in the darkness is when we really run into trouble, right? Like literally run into trouble when we try and move in the darkness. There's, there's no real path to follow. There's kind of this aimless drifting. We don't know which direction. In fact, that's why sailors and, and travelers and adventurers in, in years past, they learned to look at the lights in the sky 
to navigate their way through the darkness. And, and we kind of get this analogy, right? I mean, even in my house today, uh, we've owned three houses. We're in our third house um, right now. And, and every single house that, I've, that we've moved into, I, I've done this thing where I go and I replace all the light switches in the house. And I replace them with those rocker switches that have the orange glow in them. You know what I'm talking about? And everywhere there's a light switch connected to a light, not just like a fan or something else, I put one of those glowy light switches because when it's 2 a.m. and I'm heading to the refrigerator and I haven't got the door open yet, I want to see where the light is on the wall. Anybody ever kind of like groped your way down a wall looking for the light switch and then you touch a spider by accident, right? No, you guys don't have that experience. I, I can tell because nobody's hair is purely purely white. I'm looking around while I say that. Debbie, you must have touched a spider at some point. I know that's what had happened. Uh, anybody remember your grandma's pantry? Anybody have a grandma's pantry where it had the light bulb in the middle of the ceiling with the pool chain hanging down? And you open it up to go in grandma's pantry, and what do you do? Right? You do one of these things, and you don't know what that motion is. If somebody was to take you out of the pantry and have you do that out in the middle of the street, people would call somebody to come take you away. But nobody likes walking into a dark pantry. So we're looking. We're looking for that light. We're looking for a way to turn the light on, right? And darkness is, is kind of about that. Darkness throughout the Bible is kind of it's talking about that, that we are in darkness and we're all kind of trying to, to feel our way, to, to kind of, you know, make our way through this life and along some kind of path and some kind of direction. But there's a lot of times when we are without light that life is just plain confusing. And it's painful, and it, it hurts, right? And there's some things we're trying to find, and there's some things we're trying to avoid. But in the darkness, you know, which one is which, and where exactly is it? And it seems like in our society, our world, Western culture nowadays, um, just doesn't seem like we can see too well anymore. And you hear it in the political discourse. You hear it all over Facebook. I mean, Democrats think that they see a brighter way forward, a better way forward. But, of course, all the Republicans know that that can't be. They see the better path, right? And as we kind of fumble and stumble along these paths, I'm not going political. Don't worry about it. You know, it's just everybody breathe a sigh of relief. You can belong to whichever one you want. I don't care. And, and, and you know, we, we kind of, as we go along this path trying to figure things out and trying to figure out policies to move us forward as a society, like we keep stepping on these painful things. Any parents know what I'm talking about? Walking into a kid's room when it's dark and you step on Legos, right? Anybody ever seen that video of the guy they, they said they were putting through parent training? And what they did was they put him on a treadmill and then just started dumping Legos on the front end. And that was his training for parenthood. Like, you know, you start stepping on Legos in the darkness. And we as a, as a society and a culture, we just, like, we, we kind of keep stepping on the Legos of, of broken promises and, and, and bad economic policies and racism and the Me Too movement and all of these things. And, you know, it's just bad. Everything's gotten seemingly so dark and so confusing. And now, you know, like marriage is in question. Like, should people get married? Who should people be allowed to marry? It's like this dark, we're trying to feel our way through it, right? We're trying to light a match for marijuana. Maybe that'll help us see how to move ahead. Come on, y'all know that marijuana ain't for moving. Can I hear 
And, you know, that's not what it, and then people kind of like, they seem to, to, to see the gender issue. Like that seems like it, it keeps popping up nowadays. Like maybe the problem is this whole gender thing. Maybe we should try and make everybody the same. Shouldn't we get rid of gender? Wouldn't that clear a way forward for society? And it just seems like as a society, like we're, we're, we're just, we're doing this thing, right? We're stumbling along the wall, trying to feel our way forward and, and bumping into things that they seem okay at first, but they end up leaving a mark on Western culture, leaving a mark on our families and our homes, and, and things just seem to be getting really dark. I mean, there's a lot of, and I'm not even talking about necessarily, quote unquote, like sinful things. I'm not shaking my preacher finger at you or anything. I'm talking about just like things, like you know, screens with kids. I'm doing some research with screens and kids and parents, like, really, we should really be limiting screen time with our kids. Like, any screen, small screens, medium screens, big screens. They're finding out, and, and really about 2005, 2006 is kind of when just about every kid in America got a screen. And they're finding out that it's fundamentally rewiring kids' brains. And we're running into all these societal problems. And it comes from screens, now, screens in themselves aren't necessarily evil, but it turns out that looking at screens for extended periods of time messes up kids' brains and their social interaction, and we're running into all these societal problems. Who, who saw that coming? We thought it was fine. What we bumped into didn't look like it left a very big mark, but all of a sudden we're dealing with the wreckage of bumping into something because we couldn't see the way. The gun debate, right? Who thought that our kids would go to school and have exercises and drills just in case there's an active shooter. Who thought that the churches in America, our church even, has a security plan in place that we are implementing in case of an active shooter? Who thought that? This world is getting crazy, and it just feels really dark right now, and it seems like some things that we thought were good ways to move forward just weren't so helpful after all. And There's so much pain and heartache and sadness outside of ourselves, but then what about all the darkness and, and, and the hurt and the pain that's inside of ourselves, right? What about situations in your life and in my life that we know those situations and those relationships, they, they, they aren't anything like what God intended for me? What about broken homes and broken families and different sets of moms and dads? Hello. And in this, in this room right now, like I'm, most of us probably are in some kind of scenario with broken homes and different sets of moms and dads. Anybody ever had to play traffic cop with family for the holidays? Like, you come, okay, you can be here for a little while, now you go, and this person can come, and who let him in here, and what? You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, it's just, it's uncomfortable. And, and so Christmas, even Christmas, something that's supposed to be full of joy and, and nice can be full of painful memories for a lot of us. And it's a time when we can be reminded, uncomfortably reminded of what could have been or maybe what should have been in our own lives, times when life just doesn't feel very light or cheerful. And the thing is that God, our creator, our maker, never intended for us to stumble around in the darkness. And we know that the darkness didn't come from him because God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, how am I doing as a motivational speaker? Everybody feel good, right? Let's all dismiss. You can all go home. And No, but and aren't we all saying, we always say this, right, that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And for a lot of us it is, but not for all of us. And for those of us that have to face 
the darkness or maybe the chaos that's resulted from the darkness during the holiday of lights, there ends up kind of being a question mark at the end of this phrase, right? You know, like when you say this, your, word, your, your voice goes up at the end, the most wonderful time of the year, right? That turns it into a question. And it's a question mark, though, because of everything that's happening in our lives. It's a question mark because of all of the darkness around us and then even the darkness that we find out comes from inside of us. And the way to turn the question mark into an exclamation point is to take our eyes off of everything that's happening, to stop looking into the darkness to find the light, to stop counting on what is happening to make it wonderful and instead celebrate at Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year because of what has happened in our world. Because of the light that came and has come and is coming even on a day like today into not just the whole world, but into my world, into your world, if you'll let the light come into your world. See, because what's around us, what's happening, not what's happened, but what is happening is madness, right? It's crazy out there. I mean, somehow at Christmas, you know, I'm broker than a joker, but buying my family is a bunch of stuff is supposed to make them happy. Like, that's crazy. And then if I don't buy my kids enough stuff, they're going to go to school and get into a comparison contest, contest with the other kids that did get stuff. And if they don't have as much stuff as the other kids, you know, the stuff the other kids got, then they're, they're going to be less happy at the most wonderful time of the year. That's crazy, right? But then if I buy them too much stuff, what's going to happen? I'm going to get a, no, no, no. I'm going to get a bill in January, right, from a credit card company. And then nobody in my family is going to be happy because we won't even be able to afford to use the microwave. That's crazy. Debt at Christmas time is crazy. Can I get a good amen from somebody? That's right. It was a little bit louder over here. Y'all need to work on it. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Don't go into debt for the holiday. In fact, we believe in this so much. Listen, in January, our small groups are going to kick off next year. We do three semesters of small groups. January, we have signups. One of the small groups we're offering, we offer every January, the start of every year. It's a, it's a program. It's a, it's a study. It's a course called Financial Peace University. Anybody want peace in your finances? And we actually, it's a hundred dollar enrollment free. We actually pay the enrollment fee for you. City Grace Church, we want you to go through this. We want you to be debt free. We want you to have peace in your finances. We will get you into the course. It won't cost you a thing, but you need to go through it. Because once you start seeing the numbers, debt is crazy. Getting into that is just crazy. Trying to coordinate a family visiting schedule for the holidays, that's crazy. Someone putting 14,374 lights on their house and then ending up with a $2,000 PG&E bill the next month. That's crazy. Punching a Walmart employee in the face to save 75 bucks on a TV is crazy. So what's around us is not what makes Christmas the most wonderful time of the year. What is happening is not what makes it wonderful. What makes Christmas wonderful is what has happened for the whole world. What has happened for people like you and me who have found ourselves in darkness. And so we're glad that our society has chosen this time of year to celebrate Christmas, but we know that the Christmas message that our world end up, ends up celebrating isn't really the true Christmas message. And, and the New York Times just a few years ago now uh, ran an ad. They had a big 
publication in their paper, and uh, there's a pastor from New York named Timothy Keller, and he kind of pulled this out and, and showed it. This is kind of the message that we tend to hear at Christmas. It's this. The real message of Christmas, this was in the New York Times, uh, the real message of Christmas is that love will triumph. Doesn't that sound good, everybody? Oh, yeah, love will triumph. And, and together, everybody say together. Oh, y'all weren't together. Come on. Everybody say together in three, two, one. Oh, that's amazing. Together, we will be able to build a world of unity and peace. Now, here's the problem with that message. It says that we already have the light within us. It says that we as humans, we specifically as Americans, we are our own answer. That if, all, if we could just be a little more accepting, if we could just be maybe a little more progressive and celebrate whatever love means to you, we could build this utopia of unity and peace. How's that ever worked out for humanity? How's that working out for America, anybody that follows politics, right? I mean, big surprise that when people embrace a lesser meaning or a lesser example of love than what love himself gave to us, we end up with this kind of weak, this, this powerful, this ir- or, or powerless rather, this irresponsible kind of irrational force in us. And we call it love, but it hasn't really been able to change our world for the better. So really, it's, it's love is going to try, like that kind of love? The kind of love that I just chase anything that makes me feel good, that's going to triumph? And we just, we know that that's not true, right? And I mean, think through it, given the per- current political climate, I mean, think through this. Given the way politics are today, given the way people talk about differences today, does it ever really feel like America is going to be able to build a world of unity and peace? No. I mean, go back beyond us. Go back before us. You know, go back and look at past regimes and past political climates. Has our world ever been dominated, been ruled by a sense of unity and peace? No, it never has. I mean, even our national policies, we, you know, they usually lead us to try and bomb our way to peace. Think about that. We try and bomb our way to peace, and then we're really surprised when the people that we bomb aren't on board with the kind of unity and peace we're offering. Like, who thought that that would happen? And then even in you and me, I mean, that's nationally, right? That's internationally. But even then in you and me, personally, in our lives, in our relationships, in our pasts, right? Unity and peace, peace in our relationships, peace in our careers, peace in our finances, peace over our past, like unity with the people that we love and the people who love us. We're really going to get them to come together and agree that every single thing we are doing is best for the family. It's been best for our previous relationship, our previous, you know, I mean, we didn't mean to break it. We didn't mean to hurt anyone. We didn't mean to to rob ourselves of an opportunity in the future. We were just kind of walking a path that we thought would make us happy. We were chasing happiness. Who doesn't want to be happy? We all want to be happy. Chasing happiness isn't the problem. The problem is that we're trying to chase happiness in the dark. And we run into trouble when we chase things in the dark. Remember, you, you remember those times in your life, that, that moment when you finally admitted, hey, this thing's hurting me. Do you remember when you came to that, that decision point where you were like, I got to get some help. It's hurting the people I love. Think about this. Do you remember when you came to that realization, you're like, okay, I'm going to stop that. And then you stopped it 
for a week, it felt pretty good. Two weeks, man, I really got this thing. Three, three, it's been a month, and I haven't done that, said that, been there, right? And then you start to think, well, I've been so good, I owe myself one. Think, what is that? What is that in us? That when we seem to have escaped the, the gravity of the darkness that wants to drag us down, that when we seem to have gotten out of its pull, that there is something in us that feels the pull back into it. And if I can borrow a word from our message today, we have all come to the realization that there is a darkness inside of us and that light can never come from darkness. And so, so the solution to our darkness is not within us. Hello, you might be a great person. You might be a good person on your own. You might be pretty smart and made good financial decisions, but there's still a darkness in you. On your own, you're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. And I know because neither am I. And we all have seasons and episodes and, and chapters of life, right, where we fumbled around for an answer and then we fumbled around for another answer. An answer in another relationship or another, an answer in another substance or an answer in another hobby. And we're trying, we're looking, trying to find happiness, but we're looking in the dark. And then it turns out that we're not only in the dark, but that the darkness is in us. And light cannot come from darkness. And maybe it's not all bad. I mean, we have moments of light. We have flickers of goodness, right? But there's, there's no way that I, I don't know about you, I'm only speaking for me, there's no way that I would characterize any kind of light that I could generate on my own as being the kind of light that this world needs, as being the kind of light that the people around me need to move forward. And so, yes, Mr. New York Times, love will triumph, but my love, I don't think so. My selfish, kind of weak love, you know, I don't think that that's anybody's answer. And so the real message of Christmas, if I can get back to the message of Christmas, is not that we can fix things on our own if we try really hard. But here's the great news. Here's the best of news. Neither is the message of Christmas we should all just give up and stop trying. Neither is the message of Christmas that there is no hope and we're all doomed. What the message of Christmas is, is this, that yes, things really are dark. In fact, things are probably a whole lot worse than we think, and humans cannot find it within themselves to light up the darkness. But one Christmas morning into our dark world shined a beacon of hope and of salvation and of mercy, and it lit the... Come on, is this more than a story to anybody here this morning? Is it more than just once upon a time to anybody that into not just the world, but into our world has dawned a brand new day? It's Christmas. It's Christmas. But the light of Christmas did not come from the darkness itself. No light can come from darkness, but the light came outside of our darkness and shined brightly into our darkness and that lightness, that light was Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. And about 700 years before the first Christmas, there was a Jewish preacher named Isaiah. And Isaiah is, is brilliant. His, his document that we have in the old part of your Bible, it's called Isaiah because they don't 
weren't very creative in naming their documents back then, but Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, we call it, in the Old Testament, it's, it's an incredible ancient document. There's so much history and archaeology there, and I don't want to get into it, but, but Isaiah maybe had even more reason than us to be pessimistic about the future of the world, because Isaiah was Jewish, and here's the thing about the Jewish people. They were supposed to be the people, the race of people, the nation through whom God had chosen to bring light and hope into the world. We talked about this a little bit in week one, that, that the creator God, the story of creation is this, that the creator God had made everything good. And we see this in Genesis chapter one, just echoed over and over and over again, that everything that he made was good. And he was a good God and had given us plenty of evidence that he was a good God. And then he gave people the choice, humanity, those made in his own image. He gave us choice and free will. And we could either choose to trust his goodness and do life his way and be human in his way, or we could try things out on our own. And then a lie came into their ear and told them that God really wasn't good, that there was another good outside of and apart from God. And, and so they chose to believe the lie, and they turned their backs on God, and they ate the fruit, and when they did, they plunged our world into darkness. And they turned out the lights on humanity. They turned out the lights on what our creator looks like so that we could no longer see what it means to really, really, truly, and fully and beautifully be humans in our world. But God, who had spoken into darkness once before, spoke into the darkness of humanity again, and he promised, I won't leave you in darkness forever but I'm going to send a rescuer to you, and that rescuer will be a light, and that rescuer will illuminate not just life, but he will illuminate me so that you can see my image and reflect my image again and be like me again. And when you see my goodness, you will trust me again. When you see the goodness of my rescuer and his beauty and his perfection, you will come back to me. And then God chose Abraham and all of Abraham's family and descendants and said, okay, you're going to be the light people. You're going to be the ones through whom the Messiah, the rescuer, is going to come. And Isaiah was one of these light people. He was one of the family that was going to bring the Messiah. But as he looked around at the people of his day, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, all he saw was darkness in the people who should have been light. And as he saw the evil and the, the greed and the selfishness of the light people, as he saw the brokenness Within the light people, he saw that the very people who should have known the true light were trying their very best to find light in the darkness. And so Isaiah starts calling them out. And we pick up in Isaiah chapter 8 with verse 18, and Isaiah tells them, Here am I, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs. It's like the bat signal. We are signs to point to a hope, signs that will point to a light. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty, but something's gone wrong with the sign people. Something has gone wrong with us who are supposed to be the light bringers. He goes on in verse 19, and he starts talking to them. Listen, when someone tells you, you light people, to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, and what does this sound? This sounds like people looking anywhere for light, they're consulting mediums and spirits. The people of God, the people who are supposed to know the true light and be part of bringing the true light into the world, they're calling the psychic hotline. I, I'm never going to call the psychic hotline. If they're really psychic, they should know to call me. And if you ever do call the psychic hotline and they ask you your name, hang up. 
right? And it, this is like the, this trend that we see in America, even in personal spirituality, right? Like, you know, listen, you don't need to get in touch with your inner spirit. Hello? Spirits, you know, what you see outside of a person is a reflection of the spirit or the attitude that's controlling the inside. And if what you see on the outside is broken and flawed, you don't need to look deeper into the darkness. You need to look for a light outside of the darkness. You need to look for hope outside of the brokenness. And so Isaiah says they're asking whispers and, and mutterers even, people who are mad at the world. And listen to me, and especially today, just because you might agree with someone who's mad at something in our society that's gone wrong, it doesn't mean that that group of people has the light that they need to bring light to that darkness. And he's saying, so quit joining yourself with people that are just angry. But all they offer is solutions that divide people instead of healing people and putting things back together. And then I love where Isaiah takes the issue. He asks this question, and he kind of breaks everything down, and he says, should not a people inquire of their God? Like, shouldn't you be asking your maker what's broken? Shouldn't you be asking the one who spoke light, who said, let there be light? Shouldn't you be asking him to turn the lights on again? Why are we looking for light in the darkness? Why don't we look to the original light? And if God made us, wouldn't he have the answer to our breakdown? I mean, he's God. Either he's healer or he's not. Either he is wise or he is not. And so whatever it is that you claim is God, what kind of answers does God, your God give for your darkness? Shouldn't, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? And don't we see in our world that the gods of this world, the philosophies of this world, they don't seem to have an answer. It's all moral relativity. It's all do whatever feels good, but doing whatever feels good has broken my past. It's broke, broken my first relationship and my relationship with my kids. It robbed me of a career. And whatever feels good for me may not be something that unites the people in my life, but that ends up dividing and putting fractions and fractures into my family. And then I love this in verse 19. He asked this pointed question. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? And this isn't even overtly religious, is it? I mean, you guys know this. You wouldn't, someone, you wouldn't ask someone filing for bankruptcy how to become a millionaire, right? You wouldn't ask your three times divorced aunt for marriage advice. You wouldn't ask me how to lose weight. Like, come on, we know this. We get this. Jesus said it this way, the blind lead the blind and they both fall into the ditch. Why are you consulting the dead on behalf of the living and Isaiah is saying something that we all know, that we need something outside of ourselves. We need something wiser than broken humans. We need something stronger than our own willpower because we tried that and it didn't work. It worked for a little while, but it didn't last forever. We found out in a moment of testing that we were, in fact, not as strong as we thought we were. We were weak. We need something above our lowness. We need a greatness outside of our smallness. We need a richness outside of our poverty. We need something stronger than the weakness that has corrupted you and me. We need, we need a rescuer. Some might even say we need a savior. We need a savior. Come on, can you say it with me this morning? We need a savior. We need 
Savior. He goes on in verse 21, distressed and hungry. They will roam through the land, wandering through the land, trying this, trying that. Trying this experience, trying that relationship, trying all of these things. He goes on, when they are famished, they will become enraged. Looking upward will curse their God and their king. They become mad. So they begin to curse God. They begin to ask the question that has haunted people in the dark. Ever since people have been in the dark, they shake their fists at the sky and they ask, why? Why me? Why now? Why? The pain, why the confusion. He goes on and it gets even bleaker and he says, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful, fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. They're peering into the darkness looking for a light. And frankly, all they find is more darkness and the future gets a little frightening and they stopped Looking up, they only look inside. We only look inside of ourselves. We only sift through our own brokenness to try and find how to be whole. We only sift and sort through our own sickness looking for a healing. And in a world gone mad, we're trying to find, trying desperately to find a little bit of light. That's what we even say about it, right? We're looking for a light at the end of the tunnel, a light. We need a light. Because light seems to be wisdom. And light seems to be understanding. And light can show us a way forward. And light seems to help us understand what is pure and, and what is good. And light is warmth. And light is nourishment for the soul. And light is love. And it's like Isaiah knew what his people needed 2,700 years ago. 700 years before Jesus was born. He knew what they needed. And it's almost like he knew what we needed 2,700 years later. And to a people who were supposed to know where to find light, to a people who were supposed to be light but had become part of the darkness, over the darkness, over their confusion and over their pain and over their frustration, Isaiah begins to speak the promise of the Creator again. Isaiah begins to turn the page, literally turning another chapter and talking about the rescuer that was promised by the maker, the hope that was from heaven 700 years before Jesus was born. It's as if Isaiah began to say, here comes heaven. Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 2, the people walking in darkness. Come on, somebody, this morning. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, the light, a light, has dawned for all those that consulted and complained, for all of us who have been bumping in things and into things and tripping over things and, and hurting ourselves, looking around them ourselves, looking within ourselves, trying to find light, trying to find hope and happiness, but we just find pain and, and regret and disappointment again. Isaiah is saying there's going to be a day, and we know there was a day when hope dawned upon the world, when hope broke through the clouds and showed a new way forward. 
And it's not just a light for a few people. It's not just a light for only the good ones or only the ones that clean things up. Just like the sunrise rises on everybody, so the light of the world has dawned over every human heart. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your pain and your disappointments. Mm. But the rich and the poor enjoy the sunlight. White, black, green, or polka dot. The sun does not discriminate. Can I hear a thank you, Jesus, from somebody? The hope of darkness has dawned for the people in darkness have seen a great light. And he goes on and he's reminding them of some of their past miracles as a nation. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, he's talking about that light that's coming. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, shattered the bar across their shoulders and the rod their oppressor. He's using these, farm, these farming metaphors for people who were farmers, and they understood exactly what he was talking about. The yoke is what connected the beast to the plow. The yoke was something that controlled the beast and made the beast a slave of the owner to produce something, whatever the owner wanted. And Isaiah's saying, it's like you guys have been chained into a yoke. It's like bars were put across your shoulder. You know why bars are put across their shoulders? So they can carry two of something. That's why. So you can have something to balance it. But either way, you're still working for somebody else. You're still producing the crop of some other force. He's broken the rod of your oppressor. All of the struggle and all of the pain that we have experienced, all of the disappointment and regret, it turns out that there was another force behind it all. There was an evil, a, a darkness that was trying to drive us and to use us to sow and to plant more darkness into an already dark world. But Isaiah is saying when the light gets here, when the hope of the world has come, he will shatter the yoke of your past. He will break the bars of your addictions. He will show you a brand new way to be alive, to plant light and no more darkness. In other words, it's not just about your past. It's about your future. It's not just about what you've done. It's about what he can use you to do in the future. And Isaiah is saying the time for freedom has come. The rescuer is here. The one who can set you free. It's about light and new life. It's about Christmas. Well, how do we know it's about Christmas, Isaiah? For to us, a child is born. To the people in darkness, a child is born. A son has been given. And the government will not be left up to people who are a darkness themselves, but the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Finally, someone who can make sense of my struggle. Finally, someone who can counsel me and show me that there can still be purpose for my pain, that there is still redemption for all my yesterdays. Doesn't that sound good, somebody? Come on, you've been, you've been wandering for so long and you've been wondering for so long. You've been living in confusion and shaking your fist at the sky maybe. Maybe you were talked about in the chapter before asking God why and asking God why me and why now and why like this. Wouldn't it be so wonderful to meet someone who could make sense of it all? But someone even more than a counselor. He goes on and says, 
the mighty God, the creator of everything, the origin of creation, the one in whose image I was created and whose image I am supposed to reflect out into my world and my relationships. But, you know, God, like that's a scary word for some of us. Like God, he sounds distant and and angry a lot of times we think. And he has a long beard maybe and long lists of rules that we're pretty sure we've broken. And we're not really sure that we want to come face to face with God. And Isaiah would say to us, I'm not done yet. He's also an everlasting father. And if you were here last week, then you know about this idea of a father, of Poppy, of my dad, Abba. Father, an everlasting Father, a Father who will never leave, a Father who will always be close and listening, a Father's hands to hold your own, a Father's hands to give you strength and stability, a Father to create the place where you belong forever and ever, an everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace the prince who can give you and give you entrance and citizenship into his kingdom of peace but not just for a little while not just until the next political cycle not just for a temporary peace but an everlasting prince of peace and the greatness of his government and the greatness of his peace there will be no end his kingdom is eternally great You will never need a campaign to make his kingdom great again. His kingdom is forever. And when the sun was born, light dawned upon the whole world. And over people walking in darkness, we saw the beginnings of a brand new day. And for all people and for all time, the light has come. A king is born. Peace on earth and God's goodwill to all mankind. Mm. Mm. Come on, can you thank him this morning for light? Can we pause right here? Come on, could you clap your hands and lift your voices and thank him for light and hope and love and peace? The answer to the darkness, the answer to the darkness around us, so much more than that, the answer to the darkness inside of you, inside of me. And 700 years later, A baby was born, and they called him Jesus, for he was to save his people from their sins. And they called him Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And the light had come into the darkness. John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers and saw him and followed him and heard him and believed him, John had seen so much of darkness During his lifetime, John had seen so much of darkness in the world, and he saw the darkness try and snuff out the light that was Jesus. And and for a moment, it seemed like it had snuffed that light out and hidden that light when they crucified him. But then John saw the light raised again. John saw the light burst forth from the grave in radiance and glory, and John was changed forever. And John traveled all over the world, and he told people about the light He pointed people to the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. He told them they could have an everlasting father and live within a kingdom 
of peace. And when John was an old man looking back over all that he had witnessed in and around Jesus and all that he had seen in the battle between darkness and light, John wrote this in John chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, in him, talking about Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. John is saying, we thought the darkness had won. We thought the darkness had killed him and broken his light and and cut off his light. We thought only a few of us got to see it. We were pretty sure his story would never make it past our borders, much less our time. But then that life broke out of the grave, and it didn't stop in Israel, and it didn't stop with a few of us Jewish men, but it spread to all mankind. And his light was taking over the world. His light was sweeping through the, the rise of the church, the spread of the early Jesus movement still can't be explained by historians. They don't know how to give an account for what has happened from a Jewish carpenter with a three-year public career. But ever since the life and the light of Jesus, the world has not been able to look away. And you and I maybe haven't been able to look away because when we were in darkness, when we were lost and trying to find our own way, one day... The light dawned upon us all. The light of his forgiveness, the light of his mercy and his love has so changed us forever. He goes on and says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And this word, overcome it, in the the New International Version and other translations, they say the darkness has not comprehended it. And the reason there's a difference in these words is because the original Greek word has this idea of struggle in this idea of knowledge. It's like a math problem that you're, you're wrestling with and you keep coming out with the wrong answer. You keep coming out with the wrong solution. So you keep wrestling with it. And the darkness within us, we see Jesus. There's something about Jesus. We see buildings and, and communities built around Jesus. We hear about his teachings and, and his life, and we know that he's good. But there's something about it that the darkness in us does not understand. There's something about the Jesus life that we just can't quite wrap our brains around, right? And it's so foreign to us. It's so strange when all we have ever experienced is darkness. And so we say things like, well, this is how I'll always be. This is how my dad was. This is how my mom was. So I guess this is how I have to be. This is how my relationships will always turn out. This is just my normal now. This is just the family curse. But his light shines even in that darkness that cannot comprehend it on its own. And it's not up to our understanding for him to still be light. He is light regardless of how much darkness is in you. You ever notice that light just always wins in the dark? You ever notice that? It can never be so dark that your flashlight doesn't work. Now your kids can steal the batteries for their Xbox controllers and your flashlight won't work. But it can never be so dark that your flashlight doesn't work. It can never be so dark that the match, when it bursts into flame, does not illuminate what is in front of you. So it is with Jesus. His light will always shine. I don't care your past experiences. I don't care your past hurts. I don't care the things that made you look away from him the first time. Jesus is light, and he shines into the darkness, and the darkness will never, never be able to snuff him out. And he offers his light to whosoever will. He offers his light 
to all people, Jewish people, Gentile people like you and me, white people and black people and Democrats and even Republicans, rich people, oh my, poor people, young people, old people, you people, me people, good people, thank God the bad people, hurting people and broken people and innocent people and guilty people. I don't care what kind of people you are. I don't care what kind of people you have been. Here comes heaven. Here comes the light of the world. Here comes the light of your tomorrow. And his name is Jesus. We call him our savior. We call him our healer. We call him our rescuer. Come on, somebody, and give him great praise in this room this morning. Jesus. Oh, come on, a little bit longer. Can you praise the name of Jesus? Come on, a little bit longer. A little bit louder this morning. Why? Why would he do this for me? Why would he shine in my darkness? Why would he come into my brokenness and my pain and my confusion? Anybody ever buy a kid a Christmas present and that kid starts tearing into the wrapping paper? And if, you're, if you were here last week, it wasn't socks. You ever see that kid tear into the wrapping paper? They're flinging it everywhere, man. Just It's all over the place. Ripping up that box, right? I mean, they, they got that child-proof packaging. They need to redo that. It needs to be child-proof at Christmas packaging, right? Like they're into that stuff. And it's the toy they wanted. It's that thing that they were asking for. And then you get that moment. Come on, you get that moment where, especially when they're young. I mean, Caleb's bigger than me now. It's Different experience. I sit on his lap for Christmas. You know. When those tiny, chubby little arms, those tiny, chubby little fingers come and they climb up on your lap, they wrap their arms around your neck, they give you those sloppy Christmas morning kisses with snot running out, and they still got chocolate on their lips, right? Got a milk mustache, and now it's just all over. That crust is just on your cheek now. Isn't that the best? Isn't that the best? Something about that feeling when you do something, when you give of yourself to a child, and that child responds in gratitude with a grateful heart, unprompted, unprompted to come and to say, I love you. Mommy, I love you. Daddy. He has shined into our darkness. He has come and illuminated the way to be human. And when he did, he laid down his life for you and for me. And he gave us the gift that we could never get on our own. He gave us the forgiveness that we could never seem to find on our own. He came, he came and gave us the, the promise of a brand new tomorrow, of a, of a healed marriage and a restored relationship with a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad. He came and he gave us hope. We had no hope. 
But he does it. He does it, and all he wants in return is your snotty, milk mustache, chubby little arms. Come on, somebody. To reach up around the neck of Jesus Christ. And here at Christmas time to say, thank you. Thank you for your light. Thank you for hope. Thank you for forgiveness that I know I didn't deserve. Thank you, God, for your presence that I know I could never earn. Your attention, a way that you have heard my prayers and you've heard my questions, you've heard my accusations, and you've maybe even seen me shake my fist at you, but you haven't turned away because you knew I was just in the dark. You knew I was just confused and lost and hurting and on my own. Still reach for us. Come on, does anybody know that he's still reaching this morning? Come on, can we all stand this morning and thank him that he's still reaching for each and every one of us? Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. See, nothing less than a Wonderful Counselor could illuminate the darkness within us. He will be called Mighty God, because no one less than the Mighty Creator God could speak light into our darkness, just as he spoke light at the beginning of time. He will be called Everlasting Father because no one outside of an Everlasting Father could love us while we were still in our darkness, find us while we were still lost and wandering on our own. He will be called the Prince of Peace because no one but the Prince of Peace could save us from the chaos that rages inside our own hearts and our own souls. And He calms our fears and He assures us of a brighter tomorrow. Because he is light. He is life. And in him was the light and the life for all mankind. But that light will never come from within you. That light can never come from within me. We are in darkness. Darkness is in us. But over our hearts, a light has dawned and his name is Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed in the room this morning. I wonder this morning, is there anybody here that you're tired of fighting the darkness on your own? Come on, is there anybody here that you're ready to leave the darkness behind and come to his light? Come on, can I see your hand this morning? Come on, would you lift that hand as a statement to him? I need something outside of myself. God bless you this morning. I see your hand. He sees your hand, sir. He sees your hand, sis. He knows you. He knows your story. He knows your pain. Can we all lift our hands right now in a gesture of surrender to Him? Can we admit and can we confess to Him this morning, God, there's a darkness that has been driving me. There are some things that I can't seem to shake. There were some things I thought I had under control, but at my lowest, at my weakest there, it was again. It weighs on me and it it changes my mood, but you promise freedom. You promise to break the rod of the oppressor and take the yoke off of my back. Give us your light and give us your freedom this morning. We ask in the beautiful name of Jesus. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.